Tonight's Bible reading comes from John chapter 15, verse 26, um, to chapter 16, verse 11. Um, So John chapter 15, starting at verse 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and righteousness and judgment, about sin, because people do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Friends, uh, when I was in high school, uh, I had a friend called Vic, uh, it was a beautiful Enmore Boys High School in the inner city. And this guy was a genuinely nice guy. His dad was from Armenia. His mother was from Bulgaria. He was generally sort of religious uh, in an orthodox way, but didn't really know Jesus personally. So I became a Christian when I was 14 and a half, and uh, middle of year 10. And, uh, and then I just figured that if you know Jesus and the Holy Spirit has opened up your heart to receive the gospel, you should just tell as many people as possible. And so he was a good mate. So I'd tell him about Jesus. I'd give him a Bible to read. And uh, I'd try to tell him as much as I could, but he never seemed to get it. And he, part of his problem was he was a good guy. He wasn't into drugs. He wasn't into shooting people. He wasn't, you know, getting into punch-ups. He was just a generally nice, friendly sort of guy. And I tried to tell him that he was a sinner, that he had to turn from his sin, he had to receive Jesus. He never quite got it. But then one day he came to me and he said, Ange, I get it. Jesus died for me. Even though I'm a reasonably good guy, I know that I'm lost, I need a saviour, and Jesus is my saviour. And he repented and became a follower of Christ. The Holy Spirit, why, why did that happen? The Holy Spirit convicted him of his sins, of his failures, and of the reality of who Jesus is, and he came to faith. I remember years later, he got baptised at Springwood Baptist Church after I'd left Springwood, and uh, he got up, and part of his testimony was, I had this uh, friend at school at Enmore, and I used to be a pastor there, and he used to, uh, at Springwood, he said, and he used to tell me about Jesus all the time until I finally got it. You know, he didn't get saved because he finally got it because of me speaking to him. He finally got it because the Holy Spirit opened up his heart to believe. Carl was another guy I knew at Springwood as well. He was, uh, he was adamant. He told me, he said, I'm a good man. He didn't like to be called a sinner. And uh, when I was at Springwood, we used to book out the Civic Center once a month. 
So we move all our services from the church, the morning services. Instead of having two morning, we go into the Springwood Civic Center, which could seat 600 people. And uh, we'd have music, we'd have drama, we'd advertise to the community. And we go out there and, uh, and I got invited to preach once or twice. I was more the evangelist than the senior pastor. I said, oh, you should, you should do it because you're better at this than me. And I wasn't very good at all, but I was very nervous. Uh, and the first talk was about the fact that no one is good enough for God. That was the theme. And this guy was dragged by his wife to this service. And I'm saying, you know, God loves us, but we all fall short of God's standard. doesn't matter who we are. We're not quite good enough to make it to heaven on our own. We need a savior. It's all grace. And I found out later he went home angry. So never want to see that Gratzendus guy again. It's not the first person who said that. <laughs> he said, I don't want to see him again. And then later I met him at a, a fundraising dinner we were running and uh, caring for the poor, a tea fund dinner. And he went, yeah, she's not that bad after all. And then one day people kept sharing the gospel with him and uh, he'd hear the gospel. But you see, he thought he was good enough for God. And one day he, he rang me and said, I need to come and see you. And I went, I mean, I'm not the senior pastor, right? This guy is a lot older than me. I, I said, yeah, would you like to make an appointment? I said, no, no, I want to see you now. Sure, come on over, come over to my house. And he, he said, I've got a headache, a migraine. I can't go to work. This Christian thing, this Jesus thing, I want to talk about it right now. I said, sure, come on over. And I was sitting for a couple of hours answering his questions. I gave him uh, a New Testament. I gave him More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. And then he went home. He read it within a day. He said, we should give this book to everybody. I set him up in a Christian Explained course with some other people his own age. Two or three weeks into the course, a six-week course, he said to them, do I have to wait till the end of the course to become a Christian? We said, no, you don't. You can become a Christian right now. And the Holy Spirit opened up his eyes. He saw his failures and his brokenness, and he came to Jesus as well. People prayed for him. People told him about Jesus. But somewhere in that process, the Holy Spirit convicted him of his need of a saviour. Friends, Jesus goes back to heaven so that he might send the Holy Spirit, who will then do his work of conviction and transformation. And our focus will be on chapters 16, 5 to 11 tonight. But just realize that in the lead up, Jesus has warned the disciples that the trouble and persecution is coming upon them. Be prepared. Life will be tough. And Jesus then talks about going away. But he does say when the advocate or the counselor, some versions say the helper, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Now, the Holy Spirit will help you to know Jesus better. Secondly, you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Persecution is coming, hatred is coming, arrest is coming, death is coming, but don't worry about that, keep testifying. Tell people that I'm a great saviour. Tell people that I died on a cross for them. Tell people that I rose from the dead. Doesn't matter what's coming, keep telling people the message of the cross. But then we begin as we get to the work of the Holy Spirit, what I've called the disciple self-centred grief. And Jesus is often having difficulties with his disciples and... He says in verse 5, but now I'm going to him who sent me. In other words, I'm going back to heaven. But none of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. Now, Jesus' opening remark here seems a little bit strange because we know that Simon Peter and Thomas had both asked Jesus the question, where are you going? John chapter 13, verse 36. John chapter 14, verse 5. They were already asked him, where are you going? Yet Jesus says, none of you ask me where are you going? What's Jesus getting at? 
Are they, did they ask or didn't they ask? Well, they clearly asked twice. Jesus is saying really they didn't really ask the right question with the right motivations. Don Carson puts it this way. He suggests that the disciples seem to be more concerned with Jesus' departure, where are you going, like why are you leaving, rather than where he is going to, rather than the fact that he's going to the cross, he's going to the resurrection, he's going back to heaven. They're more concerned with the fact that he's leaving, but really not going to listen in to where he's going. Because isn't it interesting, at his arrest and his execution, the disciples were surprised. Okay? You think, why are they surprised? How many times has Jesus told them this? He's told them he's going to go. He's told them he's going to die. He's going to be raised from the dead. But they still don't get it. So they say, where are you going, Jesus? You know, you may do that without listening to an answer. Well, I'm going to die. Well, I'm going to go back to my father's house. But they're not listening to that, he says. Don Carson writes, they love themselves much and their master little. And therefore, they neither rejoice with him in his prospect of returning to the Father, nor mourn with him in the prospect of the cross. They grieve only for themselves. And regardless of how they are phrased, their questions are concerned only with themselves. That is why Jesus immediately goes on to say, because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. Jesus is returning to his Father by the indignity and cruelty of the cross to reconcile us to God And they are simply filled with grief because they're going to miss him. They're going to miss him. They don't get it. They focus on self. As Rick Warren said in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, we started many years ago, it's not about you. It's about God and his glory. And it's so easy to be self-absorbed. When something goes wrong, well, what about me? Or where are you going? What's happening? Without really caring about the other person. I spoke to an elderly lady in our congregation a a few years ago, and um, she only had a few months to live. And I met with her to make the funeral arrangements. The service was planned. And I, when I looked at the order of service, she had already planned it. I noticed there was no eulogy. Now, a eulogy is when someone talks about the person who's just died. What a great person they were, how loving they were, and what they did in church, what they did for work, where they were born, and you know, how many kids and grandkids and so on they had. There was no eulogy. And I said to her, I've seen your service, but I've done a few of these before these services. There's normally a eulogy. Or someone at least said something, there's a tribute about you. And she said, you know, they don't need to speak about me. They need to speak about, you need to speak about the Lord and his goodness. What a marvelous God we have, she said. God-centered in her thinking, God-exalting, God-promoting. Friends, I must confess, I've been to a couple of funerals, been very surprised. I did go to a funeral of of an very experienced pastor. And uh, we sat there with, Hundreds of us. And there were speeches, and the family were not believers. Uh, and they spoke about how great he was, and what a great pastor he was, great uh, things he did. There's no message about the gospel of Jesus Christ that made all the difference. And I reckon this guy, because I knew him, you know, they say they'd be turning in their grave. <laughs> I'm sure this guy was turning in his grave saying, why are you talking about me? You should be talking about Jesus. Sure, you can honor the person in your service, but there was nothing about Jesus in that whole service. These disciples were self-absorbed, filled with grief because they were going to lose something. I've given people a warning before. If I happen to die sometime soon, and Tim McBride or someone who happens to do my funeral, <laughs> just lining you up, brother. <laughs> you know? Let my girl say one or two things. 
and tell them about Jesus and the great saviour that we have. Jesus then explains his departure. He said, it's good that I'm going away. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So there's value in Jesus going away. There's value of Jesus going back to heaven, having finished his work, because then the Holy Spirit would come. And the Spirit would not be given until Jesus was glorified, says in chapter 7, verse 39. He, he dies to atone for the sins of the world. He rises from the grave. He ascends into heaven. He receives all dominion. And then the Spirit would be sent out for us. And in the New Testament, you will know, as the series we've just been looking at, is that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of eternal life. When you receive the Holy Spirit, it's a guarantee that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus. He incorporates us into the body of Christ. He regenerates us. That means he, he helps us to come to know Jesus. And he, he then indwells us. Jesus is saying, none of that's going to happen unless I die, I rise, and I go back to heaven. Don't be upset that I'm going away. Look forward to it. And what a difference the Holy Spirit makes. What did the disciples do on the night he was arrested? Mark 14, verse 50. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Gutless guys, what's going on? Your master, the one you'll never abandon. He gets arrested and you'll run away scared. What happens though when they're filled with the Holy Spirit? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly in Acts 4.31. Holy Spirit comes, a new power, a new dynamic comes to live for Christ. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Read the book of Acts. Arrested, persecuted, imprisoned, rejoicing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, once we move beyond the disciples and their misunderstanding and their, their self-centeredness, we come to what does the Holy Spirit come to do? And the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world, the Bible says. When he comes, he will prove to the world, prove the world to be wrong, well, we'll convict the world of guilt about sin and righteousness and judgments, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The question we have to ask as we go into Easter, and as we run evangelistic course, we run youth ministry, kids ministry, how can a person who belongs to the world, an enemy of God, a rebel, become a follower of Jesus? The first step is this, the Holy Spirit will convict them, expose their guilt, prove that they are wrong in regard to sin, righteousness and judgment. And conviction is a stepping stone to conversion. Now the advocate or the counsellor now functions as a prosecutor, we say, in a court case. He presents the evidence and says, guilty, guilty, guilty. You've misunderstood sin, righteousness and judgment because you've misunderstood Jesus and who he is. So what does he do? Firstly... The Spirit will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. Uh, about sin, because people, he says, do not believe in me. What the Spirit does is exposes our sin so that we see it and turn from it. We see in Acts chapter 2. We misunderstand sin. We're wrong. We don't realize that we're sinners. And we don't realize that Jesus is perfect. And uh, when we see our sin, we turn from it and we come to Jesus. Let me give you an example. Rod was a... Uh, 21-year-old university student. Now, I met him when he's uh, late 20s. And he was a Christian then in his late 20s. And he gave us his testimony. He said, Rod, what happened to you? He said, well, I was at university. I heard uh, the message of Christ through the witness of friends at university. But I had no interest in it. They were talking us like all over my head. 
no impact. He said, I enjoyed my study. I enjoyed a few drinks at the Manning Bar with everyone else at Sydney University. And he said, I was also involved in immoral relationships. I slept with a number of different women. Clearly, they were not my wife, so that was immoral. Then one day, another person told me about Jesus. He said, I don't know what it was that day, but that day when I heard about Jesus, I just felt a deep conviction. I saw my sin and my brokenness, and I knew I needed salvation. He said, I can't explain it. I'd heard it so many times from Christians, and one day, lights went on. I got it. I've said before that uh, unlike him, I was a good kid. I was a good teenager, moral, respectful, never swore, never drank, never did drugs, never slept around. And so there's a sense in which I didn't necessarily need to come to Jesus, I thought. And then I read the Bible. And as I read the Bible and God spoke to me by the Holy Spirit through the Word, I came to see that good people need to be forgiven because no one is good enough to make heaven. And I became a Christian, as I said, at 14 and a half. We see this in Acts chapter 2. What happens when they preach the gospel? Let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They just realized they killed the Messiah. They went, man, we are sinners. We're bad, right? What do we do? Convicted of their sin, they rejected and killed Jesus. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. You know God is at work, and you know the Holy Spirit is at work, because you hear it and you think, I can't keep living the way I am. I've got to make a decision. And so maybe some of you tonight need to think, I've been living in sin, I've been cheating, I've been lying, I've been immoral, my thoughts are not good, I think I'm going to sneak into heaven, maybe, you don't sneak into heaven. You have to repent. You have to come back to Christ. You have to ask for forgiveness. You have to invite him to come into your life. I'm going to say, if the Spirit of God is saying, you can hide your sins from everyone else, but let me tell you, God knows. You can't hide it. Then be honest with God. Come to him. Come home to him. Secondly, the Spirit convicts the world of guilt in regard to righteousness. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. I think the Spirit exposed our false, human, inauthentic righteousness. Do you think about Jesus? The Pharisees thought they were righteous. They called Jesus, or yet Jesus called them hypocrites. The leaders of the, uh, the Lord Moses wanted to kill Jesus, chapter 7, verse 19. The Jews, Paul insisted, not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own righteousness. They thought they were righteous, they thought they were good, and Jesus was evil. They didn't understand that Jesus was righteous. But we have been saved not by the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. The Holy Spirit shows us we are not right, we're not perfect. It also reminds us that Jesus is perfect, and we need to come to him. There's a story told about uh, lighting it up about a little bit of this sin stuff and judgment. Two brothers, picture this. They were rich, and they used their money to keep their ways from the public eye, one told. They attended the same church and looked to be perfect Christians, but they were thieves and cheats. Then their pastor retired and a new pastor was hired. He could see right through these brothers. He knew they were lies, they, they were deceptive. But he was a great preacher and the church started to swell in numbers. Then they had a fundraising campaign to build a new building. All of a sudden, one of the brothers died. The remaining brother sought out the new pastor the day before the funeral. 
handed him a big check for the amount needed to finish paying for the new building. God, does anyone have some money? We could need to do this extension. Right? He said, here's the check. Build the building. His brother said, I only have one condition. One condition. At his funeral, you must say that my brother was a saint. That's it. Easy. The pastor said, no problems. Thank you for the check. Deposited the check. Ready to build a building. Get to the funeral. The pastor didn't hold back. The guy who just died before us was an evil man. He was really bad. He cheated on his wife. He abused his family. He ripped off his business associates. His brother was furious. I said, what's going on? And then the pastor concluded, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) Take the money, preach the truth. Friends, by his return to the Father via the cross and resurrection, Jesus is vindicated as the righteous one of God. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will show people that they're wrong about Jesus. He is righteous. We're not righteous. He is righteous. And our righteousness is a sham. We need a saviour. I remember sharing the gospel with a person once. He said, you know, just leave me alone, Ange. I'm fine. I'm a good person. I said, but if you die unforgiven, you'll face an eternity in hell under the judgment of God. You don't want to go there, I said. And he said, I'm fine. I don't need Jesus to die for me. I'll be okay, mate. Sadly, that person continued in disobedience to God. Don't think you're good enough. Let God change your heart. And finally, the Spirit will convict the world of guilt in regard to judgment. About judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So the Spirit exposes our false judgments, which the condemnation of Jesus is a supreme example. They judge Jesus, what they say? He, he was in partnership with Satan. He broke the Old Testament law. He's accused of blasphemy. He claim, accused of claiming to be equal with God. He did claim that one. He was seen as an evil man. They misunderstood him. They judged him wrongly. But the Holy Spirit exposes our guilt in regard to judgment. And we come to understand the truth about who Jesus is, that he is the saviour of the world. Take the Apostle Paul, for example. Remember Paul was persecuting Christians? Acts chapter 9. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Paul had made a judgment that Jesus was evil. He wanted to kill all Christians or put them in prison, eliminate this message about Jesus. He was wrong. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned, the Bible says. John 12, 31, as we're heading into Easter, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. How does it happen? Through Jesus' death and his resurrection. And eternal life is given to all those who believe. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already, the Bible says, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Judgment is coming. Understand it, repent, come to Christ. Do you know, uh, as we head into Easter and the rest of the year, what gives me confidence in evangelism and mission, both here and overseas, and we work, work, support works across the globe, and we're about to hit a May mission month in a, in a few weeks' time. Confidence to fulfill the Great Commission. You know what gives me confidence? The Holy Spirit goes before us. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts people. 
of the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection and brings the people into his kingdom. God says how he will build his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I cannot lead anyone to Christ. You can't lead anyone to Christ. But you can point them to Christ and pray that the Holy Spirit opens up their hearts. In conclusion, Jesus goes away via his suffering, via abuse, via the cross, via the grave, via his resurrection, via his ascension and exaltation, and he returns to the Father. Then the Holy Spirit comes to convict, to prove us wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment, so that we would repent and believe in Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let us give thanks that Jesus went via the cross back to heaven and he's empowered us with the Holy Spirit today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've given yourself for us. You came from heaven to earth to live as one of us, taking upon yourself human flesh. You were rejected, you were lonely, you were opposed, you were hated, you were arrested, falsely tried. You were scorned, you were whipped when an inch of death, then you were nailed to a cross, the cross that should have been ours. And then you died saying it is finished, you went to the grave, but the grave could not hold you. The Father raised you from the dead, you've ascended into heaven, exalted the right hand side of the Father. Jesus, thank you for all you've done for us. We judge rightly today. We are sinners. You are righteous. Your judgment is correct. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes. The Holy Spirit who's given us new life, new understanding, new power, new dynamic. Not only to bring us to faith, God, but to, uh, to transform us, to make us more like Jesus each day. We thank you. And as we head into this Easter season, we submit to you. We ask that you would do your work in us, and through us, we would see many people come to know Lord, the Lord as uh, Saviour and King. We pray it all in his powerful name. Amen.